the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Tom Fernelli. I'm Chip Patterson, uh, live from New Orleans, as uh, we've got a new national champion, the LSU Tigers. They take down the Clemson Tigers. They win 42-25. to the, the LSU defense had a great performance, but all that's going to fall short to a historic performance from Joe Burrow that he sets the new NCAA passing touchdowns record. He sets a whole bunch of college football playoff record. Jamar Chase sets a whole bunch of records. And, uh, oh, one Tiger, one, one team, one hot beat. Uh, Coach O, you know, this is it – was, it was the story. And so, Tom, I, I will throw to you by tipping my cap – and acknowledging sort of your premise for your initial LSU pick, which was how many times have we seen the story in college football all year and LSU and Joe Burrow have been the story all year. They often finish, uh, as you know, the champions, like the storybook was there to be written. And at some point in the second half, I think I just sort of fell into that into that position. I was like, Oh, okay. So it's happening. So congratulations, Tom, uh, your, your, not only was your lock correct, but I think your reasoning was right on. Yeah. Finally, I just jumped on board the LSU bandwagon and I got it right. See, that's all I had to do all year long. Pick LSU every single week. And I'd done that all year long. I'd look like a genius, but at least I was smart enough to get down at the end. Yeah. Uh, there was, I mean, that was that was a little iffy for a while there for LSU. You know, Clemson jumped out to the seventeen to seven lead, and I started thinking, oh wow, maybe maybe destiny doesn't mean a whole lot. But yeah, that from that point on, with the final, they outscored them thirty five to eight. Mm-hmm. That's a decent run. There's a big weekend for giant comebacks in in playoff games. No, that's that was LSU. They were LSU until the absolute very end. I mean, for the love of God, against Clemson, a team that had allowed 2,121 passing yards all season long in their first 14 games, Joe Burrow passed for 463 yards and five touchdowns a week or two and a half weeks or whatever after throwing for what, seven or eight against Oklahoma. He had more touchdowns in the playoff alone than like 12 FBS teams did all season. (laughs) (laughs) And what's weird is because like this game, if you look at like the first, third and fourth quarter, they weren't like high scoring quarters. It's like that second quarter is where a lot of this action came, but still Burrow had like a lot of yards that didn't really result in touchdowns because LSU was being, 
give Clemson some credit. They were at least pinning LSU deep, but it just kind of proved that none of that really mattered because even when LSU has been pinned inside its 10, it was able to move the ball down the field. And hell, even Clemson did the same because what they had three touchdown drives of 95 yards or more in the last two games of the year. So I'm not surprised LSU won. Obviously I am surprised they won by as much as they did and how they kind of just, they took a punch from Clemson early and then just absolutely buried him. That was the most surprising thing to me. And just seeing Trevor Lawrence look incredibly mortal. Like that was, he was off for most of the night. Like he was missing throws. I remember I tweeted like at the very beginning of the game, I think it was T Higgins. He had deep down the sideline who had beaten Fulton very early in the first quarter and he overthrew him. And I tweeted, I says, wow, I, I'm, st- I'm still really surprised every time I see Trevor Lawrence miss a throw. And then he went and he missed a lot more. Uh, rode the media bus back and was sitting uh, across the aisle from friend of the podcast, Rick Neuheisel. And that was the one thing we were talking about when it came to Trevor Lawrence was that it was just misses. He had a bad game. And for somebody who's 25-0 and 0 as a starting quarterback coming into this game, for someone who... Uh, and the story will be up on cbsports.com. I'm going to finish it after we uh, finish, after we wrap up here. But like in, even when he wasn't the starter, he had a passing touchdown. The only other game besides the national championship where Trevor Lawrence had zero passing touchdowns was when he was knocked out of the Syracuse game in 2018 in the second quarter. Like he has always been able to find ways to be productive, but he's less than seven yards per attempt, less than 50% completion percentage, and I, I don't know where the, where the blame or the credit lies. And, and usually it's probably, you know, somewhere in between, but I thought that he just looked a little sped up. He looked a little frazzled. He looked, he looked like he was, uh, you know, not totally comfortable, uh, within sort of the framework and the flow of the game. And, and that stinks. And he even said after the game, he was like, it sucks. Like, you know, how, how does it feel? It's your first ever loss as a college starter, blah, blah. He was like, it sucks. Like, you know, he's got that kind of deep voice because he's six, six yeah. and he's got big lungs. Yeah. It sucks. <laughs> he's, he's like one of the avatar creatures. But, right. You know, right. right. But I like, you know, you mentioned that second quarter and, uh, LSU had more yards of offense in the second quarter alone than Clemson averaged giving up on the season. Yeah. They had what? 269 yards of offense in yeah. the second quarter. Clemson's average yards allowed was 264 and its average points allowed was like 11. And of course, LSU had 21 and we talked all, we were talking, you and I were talking during the game about the middle eight and, uh, they lost it. They lost it. <laughs> like, <laughs> they gave up 21 unanswered points to close the half. And that just, man, and the last touchdown too, I was just, oof. It, we had a moment where this thing could have broken out into an all-time great national championship game, but just Clemson couldn't come up with the plays. Yeah, I mean, they went 11 plays, 95 yards in the final four or three and a half minutes of the first half to make it a 28 to 17 game. If, if Clemson just gets a stop there, even if they don't put points on the board before halftime themselves, cause you know, unless you did get the ball to start the third, but Clemson did force like, you know, they forced them to punt on that first possession. But if that game goes to halftime at 21 to 17, I think you're right. I think we have a much more competitive second half. What did you make of, uh, the Clemson defense and sort of the initial wave. Cause you mentioned the punch that they threw 
and it, it was a little bit of scheme, and there were some other, you know, personnel issues. I thought that the targeting ejection hurts because you go from having mm-hmm. you go from having like a an upperclassman experienced linebacker who is in charge of not in charge, but one of the players who helps gets everyone in line to uh, just Brent Venable's son. Like it was a big drop off after that. What um, would you make of sort of how Clemson started that game defensively? Yes. I love Skalski because he looks like a dude straight out of 1988 out there with that little neck roll. I so know. That, yeah, that, that was a huge blow for Clemson. But I think what really happened was early in the game, Clemson was doing, you know, a lot of Brent Venables type of stuff with their blitzes. They were bringing, they were bringing rushers from different spots. They were disguising it. Well, they were running stunts. They were running twists on the line. They were doing all these sort of different things that LSU was having trouble dealing with, to be frank, you know, they, they, they weren't picking it up great. And Joe Burrow was being rushed and being forced to move the ball and his receivers weren't getting time to get open a lot of the, on a lot of the plays. And then I think, you know, LSU's offensive line, they, they kind of figured out what was going on. They kind of figured out what they needed to do. They started, you know, getting their assignments. Maybe they just changed things up themselves and just went more of like a zone type of, you know, scheme or whatever you'd want to call it for blocking it and picking it up. And they slowed down the Clemson rush. They slowed it down, gave Joe Burrow time. And I mean, you can't give Joe Burrow time. We've seen that time and time again. I, I should probably think of a different word, but it's just all season long. When when Joe Burrow is able to stand in the pocket and let his guys get open, they're going to pick you apart. He's too accurate. He's too good throwing the ball. And his receivers are too good at getting open and catching the ball, especially when he moves and gets out of the pocket to buy him time. His That's the one thing I think LSU receivers are truly great at is like that scramble drill. They are always aware of it and they're always finding those open spots in the defense when that happens. And Burrow is very good at finding them when they get there. So I think that played a huge role. I think that just, you know, Jamar Chase and AJ Terrell, I mean, I feel bad for AJ Terrell. He had just a nightmare night. And he's a very good player. He was he's in a very similar situation to Trevor Lawrence, where it's that's a really good player who had a very bad night because Chase was killing him. And then he got, you know, he, he uh Clyde Edwards Hilaire made him look really bad on one play where it just he looked like one of us out there trying to make the tackle out of. So it's I, I think that the offensive line adjusted, picked it up, gave Joe Burrow time. And once that was, once that happened, there's, there's just no stopping LSU because it's, it, it sounds so cliche. And it sounds like something you say about every quarterback because it is true, but if you're not getting pressure on him and you're not speeding him up, like LSU was speeding Trevor Lawrence up, they're going to kill you. They're going to pick you apart. And that's exactly what happened. It's so cold blooded that both uh, Burrow and coach O after the game, or I guess maybe even Coach O might have said it at halftime, but uh, Burrow specifically after the game was like, yeah, you know, we just had to, uh, you know, sort of see what they were doing. And he, they, they both said we needed to figure out what they were doing, made our adjustments, and then we were good to go. Like, Brent Venables is one of the best offensive coordinators in the country. He had 16 days to put, put together a game plan, and Joe Burrow's like, ah... I just need like a quarter, all right, man. Give me a quarter. <laughs> He's he was like uh, he was sounding sounding like somebody who's uh, getting up after a night out and is like, just give me like an hour, all right. Give me an hour and then I'll be ready. And then he well, just that, came out and balled. 
that's the thing about defense and what makes it so hard is, you know, a well-executed offense is going to beat every single thing you try to do to it on defense unless you make individual amazing plays. But it's hard to do that for 60 minutes against a team with as much talent as LSU has. So it's that's just one of those situations. And that's exactly the kind of place Clemson found themselves in tonight because in a way, I mean, I don't – Clemson's an awesome team. And I know that people use the ACC against them. But I do think that in a way, being in the ACC this year without another real test of a team to face, you know, this is a Clemson team that, you know, it it got punched in the face against Ohio State. It worked its way back. It came back and won the game. And it got a couple, you know, I I don't want to say beneficial, but it got like some 50-50 calls that went their way and helped them out. And they didn't get a lot of those calls tonight. In fact, you know, a couple of them went against. You could have that first Jamar Chase touchdown. They could have called offensive pass interference on because it did look to me like Chase pushed off quite a bit on Terrell there to get some separation at a key time. And then later, obviously, there was the touchdown to T. Higgins that they did call him for OPI. And I thought he did didn't do as much as Chase did early on that first touchdown. So it's like you saw those calls kind of go against Clemson, and that's a 14-point swing right there. That's All of a sudden, we've got a 35-32 game, you know, instead of 42-25. So I just think that, in a way, not being tested during the regular season, aside from that North Carolina game, which felt more like a what's the word I'm looking like an outlier than an actual team testing them. I think that that Thank you for not hurt. saying fluke for my no, beloved Tar Heels. I know fluke. I mean, they outliers had, happen. Outliers happen, and, and it, North Carolina played that game right. They knew yeah. exactly. They had an eight and a half minute drive to close the game. They knew what they were doing. Yeah. So like North Carolina didn't get lucky in that game. They just played well. Right. So yeah, I I, I don't know. It's it's weird. I also wonder going back to Trevor Lawrence because if we think about it, I mean maybe he's hurt. Maybe he has some kind of something wrong with him that was affecting him. I don't know. I didn't really see any signs of that. But I mean, again, he was inaccurate and he was very you know, from what we're used to seeing. But I also think that when he struggled early in the year, you know, it was coming off of an off season and then he got into a rhythm and he was unstoppable. I'm wondering if 16 days off kind of got him out of his rhythm coming from the regular, you know, having the ACC championship game and then the three weeks or whatever between that and the Ohio state game. And then another 16 days between that game and this one, I wonder if that had some kind of impact on his play, just the, you know, inconsistency of being out there. To your point, and I'm not going to, you know, speculate wildly, but I Keep that to me, please. I believe that uh Clemson's wide receivers got kind of banged up in that Ohio State game. Yeah. Like, like got kind of banged up as in there was maybe a picture of the wide receivers during one of their last practices and uh, a very astute Clemson writer uh, who listens to the podcast, shout out, pointed out that, um, you know, Justin Ross wasn't looking like he had pads on like everybody else, you know? And it was mm-hmm. just, hmm, okay. You know, you've... You, whatever he's he's gonna suit up he's gonna play it's probably just a maintenance thing you know you're dealing with these superstar like players who you're trying to keep their bodies in the best position possible and the high state game was really physical might not have been anything major but that being said if we're gonna talk about being in a good rhythm with your quarterbacks and your wide receivers 
The, I, I would add that layer and that detail to it. It is though. It is not an excuse. It is. We cannot be looking at Clemson and being like, Oh, that was so cute. Y'all tried really hard against LSU. They just, they didn't play great. No, and they got banged up even more on Monday night. I mean, T. Higgins took that shot to the thigh that caused him to leave the game for a while. Bro, I don't Rock- think that was the thigh. What did you think it was? I, I think it was between his thighs. Oh, well, I didn't see that angle. Well, and then Rodgers got lit up, too, on that one, you know, incompletion. But again, even if they were banged up, Lawrence was still overthrowing them. A while. Right, right. And, like the, and even on that Rodgers one where he took the huge shot, it was because he overthrew him by like seven feet. And Rodgers was jumping up to try to get it and came down and got leveled. Didn't it feel like they were almost all overthrows? Yeah. Yeah. That's why I'm wondering if maybe there's it's maybe it's rust or maybe there is, you know, maybe he's just got something, something physical that's been bothering him and it was clearly evident in his throwing motion. Maybe whether it was lower body or, you know, he was not planting on the right foot. Who knows? It just I didn't pay that close of attention to his mechanics. I'm not smart enough about quarterback mechanics to really know anyway, but I just there was clearly something off about Trevor Lawrence tonight. How about uh you know, everybody talking in the press box and, uh, and on Twitter, Oh, is, are, is Joe Burrow hurt his ribs? Oh, he, he doesn't look right. And the second that he starts throwing touchdowns again and LSU runs away for this national championship, you know, who, you Seems know, fine. yeah. You know who wasn't asking any questions about, you know, yeah, it was, you know what people were not asking questions about his ribs game ended. And it was like, we were never even concerned about it. Shot kicked in. Oh, I mean, you're just like, <laughs> it, it, people were like, wait, so was Burrow hurt? Wait, I don't know. Did anybody ask him? Like everybody in the media forgot to ask him. I think he, I mean, I think you saw it on TV. He was hurt. I don't know if it was an injury, but he took a hit and it hurt. And he was kind of, you know, he was showing it. He was like wincing. He had his hand on it, but yeah, no, he seemed to be okay. And then like, cause they had the sideline report even before when they're coming out for the third quarter, like, you know, he's hurt. Something's bothering him. But then, yeah, as soon as he had the one run, because on their first possession, they didn't really do much of anything. And, like, he went down early, and there was, like, the speculation of, oh, he's, he's, he's afraid to get hit. He's clearly hurting. And then the next possession, he had, like, a QB draw, and he got picked up, like, eight yards, and he took a hit as he was being tackled. And everybody's like, oh, well, he seems to be okay now. And then, bam, he unleashed hell on Clemson's defense from that point on. Coming up on the other side, looking ahead to what this means for both these programs moving forward and and trying, if it's even possible, uh, to put LSU season in some kind of context. Next. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. So the the LSU 
potentially greatest team ever was a conversation we've had here on this podcast. Joe Burrow, we said if he adds a, a national championship to his resume, you know, he gets to go down as one of the greatest individual seasons ever. Are you, I mean, and again, it is 129 central time in the AM. <laughs> Can you, Tom, put your arms around the national champion LSU Tigers and, and try to, you know, figure out how, how to, how to put it in any kind of context from that historical, those big lofty kind of accolade conversations. I don't like these kind of conversations. I think that, I think there's an argument to be made that yes, LSU is the best team of all time. Cause if you look at what it did, they beat, I mean, the final AP poll came out, you know, shortly after the game, which is super important. And uh, Texas is ranked 25th, by the way, Chip. I don't know if you saw that. Anyway, LSU beat the number two team, the number four team, the number six team, the number seven team, and the number eight team in the final AP poll by an average margin of 20 points. Wow. I, I don't know for sure, but I feel very comfortable saying that no team has ever done that before. That being said, it's really hard to compare teams towards you know teams from previous years previous decades because it's completely different situations and it's really hard because you have to look at them in the context of their time that being said that resume i just read in the context of their time is pretty impressive for lsu especially since this is an era where you know some great greatest teams of all times that would be in the conversation just played a bowl game you not even always against another top 10 team just finished undefeated. They were named national champs. Whereas this LSU team went undefeated through the regular season, had to get through an sec team with a bunch of top 10 teams, then had to win two playoff games against top four teams and didn't just win those games, but you know, like it beat Clemson by 17 and it just destroyed Oklahoma. So when you look at all that, yeah, it, it has to be in the conversation. But whether it's better than like a 1971 Alabama team that's, you know, if you if you use like college football references, simple rating system that they have to rate teams, it's the best LSU team of all time, but it's not the best college football team of all time. There's been seven Alabama teams that are considered better than this year's Alabama or LSU team by that metric. Now, of course, that's simply one metric, but still it's just, you know, it's, it's one of those conversations. That's it's a great barbershop conversation because there is no answer, but I think that, you know, between this team, between like those Miami teams, between a few Alabama teams, whether in the modern era or even older eras and just, you know, like those Barton's beloved, what year, what year was that Yale team that was, you know, never didn't allow any points. Was it 1888? Yeah. You know, one of those really important seasons. So it's, it's, it's definitely in the conversation. I'm not going to say that it is the best team. I don't care who the best team. Right. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I think that if you have the conversation, yes, sure. I think that 2019 LSU is going to be in the conversation for a while. So I, what I like to do is I just like to a come out and be like, well, first of all, I'm very guilty of recency bias and I'm very guilty of being a prisoner in the moment. So yes, sure. LSU is the best college football team of all time. No one else has accomplished uh, the kind of impressive feats that they have accomplished testing well you know battle tested winning wars like taking down an alabama team that we thought in tuscaloosa that we thought was surely going to be you know competing for the national championship with clemson at the end of the year 
you you beat Georgia, and as you mentioned, you win that top games against top four teams in the playoffs in such dominant fashion. Sure, yes, absolutely, fine. No best best team of all time. That that conversation isn't uh, is not as interesting to me as wondering whether the impacts of this for the LSU program, you know, where this goes from here, because you do have a lot of pieces from this team that are going to be back. You're going to have some early exits because of the NFL draft. But I mean, this LSU team, I think has 14 seniors on it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the quarterback position is going to be the one thing we're looking at because, and, and by the way, how about a little bit of news? Derek King in the middle of the national championship game <laughs> announces that he's going to be going into the transfer portal and who knows, maybe he's wearing the purple and gold next season, but you know, you're probably going to be losing uh Clyde Edwards layer. I would think Jamar chase is going to be back. I think you lose Justin Jefferson. Thaddeus Moss is going to be back. Maybe you lose Terrace Marshall. And then on the defensive side of the ball, like Grant Delpit's back, Derek Stingley's back, Caleb on Chasen, I believe is back. If he's a junior, though, I would imagine he's gone. You lose Richard Lawrence, and I think you lose uh, Braden Foco. But the this LSU team in the immediate future should be contending for SEC championships and the college football playoff. Do you think that this is? Uh, do you believe, and this is a word that Dabo has been using a lot, so I'm sorry that it's on my mind, but do you think that this is a transformative season for Ed O'Geron's LSU program? Well, first of all, Delp is a junior, so I'm pretty sure he'll be gone. He is 100% gone then. Yeah, Chason is a sophomore. I don't know. I don't know. It's see, that's the thing. It says sophomore, but I don't know if it's a redshirt sophomore. I'm assuming it's just a sophomore, so he'll be back. But, uh, it is definitely a sophomore because he is so good that he definitely played as a freshman. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. So it's just, I don't know. That's because it's so. This felt like you know, like the team of destiny, perfect storm kind of situation where Joe Brady comes in, they revamp the offense, they have the perfect quarterback for it, they've got a ton of great talent at the receiver position, they've got a good running back, they've got a good offensive line, they've got great defense, and that's still going to be the case for a lot of the key positions because the way that LSU recruits, and even you know, O was on you know with Scott Van Pelt. <laughs> tonight after the game and he's telling him you know he's like oh i'm gonna i'm gonna be on the phone tonight recruiting the next great class of great players to come down to you you know it's a dead period till friday but then i'm gonna be hitting the road it's like so this is a dude who literally had just won the national title 10 minutes before and he's already got his recruiting schedule <laughs> rented out and ready to go he knows exactly what he's gonna do so this is a team that's still clearly going to have talent it's lsu it's just the joe burrow equation man nothing against Derek king but if Derek King is like a grad transfer to LSU, he's not Joe Burrow. No, he's, he's, he's not. A, he's definitely not as accurate throwing the ball as Joe Burrow. He's just not the same kind of player. So it's like LSU would have to revamp its offense for the second straight year. And maybe Joe Brady and Steve Ransomer are able to do that and it'll work. It's just the, that that's too much of a question mark to me. I'm not sure that I'm ready to sit here and just assume that LSU is going to have another quarterback who can come in and play like Burrow and things will keep chugging along like they were this year. So I'm, I'm not as, I don't know if this is transformative. I think that it's definitely, because even, you know, if you look at it with LA, when Les Miles won the national title in 27, you know, 2007, 
that wasn't really something they sustained. They were still LSU, but they weren't competing for the national title every year. And I don't think that this team is the kind of team that we can be convinced that is going to be, you know, in the playoff again next year, especially in the SEC, because, you know, two is, you know, gone, but Alabama is still going to be a powerhouse. You know, Texas a and going to be good. Georgia's still going to be very good. Auburn's still going to be very good. Florida's still going to be very good. So it's going to be really difficult to get through the SEC and get back to the playoffs. So I, I don't know if I have LSU in that kind of spot where I can sit here and say that, yeah, we can pencil them in as, you know, being Atlanta, playing for an SEC title, being in the playoff conversation. They could be, but... I mean, the, the title odds came out for next year already, and you know LSU's at eight to one, and Clemson's at nine to four. So I think you know <laughs> that says a lot. If they lose Joe Brady as well, and Joe Burrow's gone, it will be transformative in that it would have reinvigorated an LSU fan base that was just living in this like. I don't, I don't want to say self-loathing, but like there was, there was something really dark inside of LSU fans. And a lot of it was tied to Alabama. And a lot of it was tied to Nick Saban, the way that 2011 season ended. And now that's lifted, you know, and it got lifted by going to Tuscaloosa and beating Alabama. And it got lifted by being back in the Superdome. And look after, Remember we we were doing the twenty one nothing Superdome LSU BCS national championship talk as LSU granted because of field position, but it was like, wait, is is Clemson just running the Alabama twenty one oh game plan right now? Because <laughs> for the first like eight minutes of that game, it's what it looked like. They kept getting field position wins, and LSU didn't even get past midfield. Well, they did later in the first quarter, but as, as sort of the way that all that was transpiring early, you're like, Oh no, Oh no. And so all of that sort of, whatever that sort of darkness was, whatever that frustration was like, all of that is lifted. And I think that is not transformative specifically for like the team, especially as it pertains to 2020 and 2021, but in terms of the fan base, the program, the way that the outsiders are going to invest and LSU fans have always been invested. We know that, but it is a, it is a health. It is a bit of joy. It is a healthier investment. It's the kind of thing that I do. I do believe is going to carry over. I think the reason that Clemson fans do a pretty good job of traveling to national championship games, even when it's in enemy territory like LSU or in no man's land where no one cares about college football last year in San Francisco, San Jose, Santa Clara, like Clemson fans travel right now and they bring their, their orange and purple and their little $2 bills with a tiger print on it. And they kind of take over, but it, it's, they sing neck. They, (laughs) it's happened because, you know, they've, they've had these, this, these joyous occasions and these reasons to believe. And I, and I really think that there is an intangible benefit every single year that can come from a win like this. But I think I'm with you in that. I also do view this as the perfect circumstance. And coach O said that he said it after the game. He was like, I was in the right place at the right time. Joe Burrow, Joe Brady, Dave Aranda, Stevens Minger, the players on this team, the seniors on this team, it was just the right place at the right time. And 
it is going to be a challenge to make sure that being in the right place at the right time is not just one national championship and then you know they hang their hat on it. It's going to be very, 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 very difficult to make it back to the playoff and to continue to contend for national championships moving forward. And I think that's they went fifteen and zero to win a national title. That is very difficult to do, and it's kind of one thing that you know, even in their loss, this is a Clemson team that went fifteen and zero last year and then was fourteen and zero this year, reaching the title game to been before falling short. So they'd won 29th straight. That's incredibly difficult to do. So when I look at LSU and I mean, Clemson did it in the ACC where there's really not a second kind of alpha or a challenger for the top of the mountain. And LSU has got to do it in the SEC. And I wonder, and I don't want to do this, but I'm kind of doing it. If we go back to like the BCS era when the SEC was, you know, became what the SEC is as far as being the best, you know, conference of college football, winning every national title, blah, blah, blah. Every year it was like pretty much a different SEC team doing it. You know, Florida was winning a national title, Tennessee won a national title, LSU won a national title, Alabama won a national title, Auburn won a national title. But then the Alabama behemoth kind of just started chugging at max capacity and the SEC kind of in recent years became Alabama and 13 other teams kind of living off of Alabama's reputation saying that we're still the best. We're still great. I'm wondering if what we've seen with Alabama kind of slipping and I'm not saying it's dead. Okay. I'm not, but I'm just saying with Alabama kind of slipping these last two years, if we're now going to back to that time where the sec is going to be a little more, I guess the word would be, you know, uh, more more parity in the SEC as far as sharing the great team and the conference champion and maybe the national champion. And I don't think Clemson's going anywhere, obviously. But I'm I'm wondering if like that's one reason. Like LSU, it's hard to say that they're going to become juggernaut mode and become like some kind of dynasty perennial contender for a national title in the SEC just because you look around there right now and there's a lot of teams that could easily have that year where everything kind of comes together, right time, right situation, right coaches, right seniors, right juniors, and then bam, national title. So what about, what about Clemson? Oh, they're not going anywhere. Yeah. I mean, until, until the ACC provides us with somebody, a reason to believe that they can take Clemson down, not just during the regular season, but then have to get him in the conference championship game. There's that that team's too good, and plus Trevor Lawrence is back, man. <laughs> they're they're the favorite next year for a reason. Them in Ohio State, who's the second, you know, got the second best odds. It's not a coincidence that Clemson, with Trevor Lawrence coming back, and Ohio State with Justin Fields coming back, are the two favorites to win the national title next year. See, I uh, I I'm really really interested to see what happens next with Clemson because Clemson has built its success so far with top 15 and top 10 kind of classes. And they're about to sign the number one recruiting class in the country. Mm-hmm. And 14 of those guys are going to be, uh, or I guess, I guess classes have started. Maybe I'm not quite sure how the academic calendar works at Clemson, but they're mid-year enrollees. They are going to be on campus. They're going to be a part of this program. And, and Trevor Lawrence is going to be replaced by another five-star quarterback. And I'm, I'm, I'm really interested to see the the next evolution because there was a lot of a lot of talk about what kind of decade it's been for the Clemson Tigers. And in 2011, I was there in Charlotte 
as they celebrated the ACC championship, and it was huge. And Dabo Sweeney's up there, and he's talking about how they hadn't won an ACC title in 20 years and how important it was to get that first over-the-hump thing and the vision that he had for turning Clemson into a program that could contend for national championships. We were like, oh, okay. Because at the time, Dabo Sweeney was only two years removed from just being promoted from wide receivers <laughs> coach to replace Tommy Bowden after Tommy Bowden was fired midseason. So you're just kind of like, all right, cool. We'll see what happens. And so, you know, in one sense, we've kind of become normalized to what Clemson is. But in the larger sense, this is still all very new and this loss is frustrating, and it in 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 as I said, as Trevor Lawrence, I mean, it sucks, you know. <laughs> but like, man, they're about to have a level up moment, and how Clemson deals with the level up, how we treat Clemson, I think all that's going to be very fascinating as we move forward. Yeah, I mean, if you look at them this year, it's that they played the disrespect card, despite the fact that they were undefeated and they hadn't lost in two years, and now. They get to enter next season angry because they lost. I know. Did you know that this Clemson team has 80 freshmen and sophomores? Does it really? That's out of their 120. So, like, they don't take everybody. But uh, out of their 120-player roster that suits up for home games, I think what do you get to take on the road? Like 73? I don't know the exact number, but, yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah, but they've got 80 freshmen and sophomores. Cool. They're going <laughs> to. So, yeah, then they've. I'd like to make a formal announcement that once Trevor does leave after next season, I'm just going to call him DJU. <laughs> You're not going to. No, no, no. You'll learn it. We learned Tua. We thought Tua was going to be tough and we got used to it. But see, I don't think Tag of Low is as difficult to repeatedly pronounce as DJU's last name. <laughs> Let's see. It's it's late enough that I want to get this. All right. <laughs> uh, well, let's hear it. Barton knows it. This is yeah, why we yeah, need yeah. Barton here. You a galele? It's there's a la lay in there. The two the it's I don't think it's straight lele. One of them's like a la and one of them's a lay. That's weird. Because they're both. Oh no, no, that's true. Because there's no, there's no I in the first one. So yeah, okay, Lale. Okay. Yeah, that's it's uh, DJ Yugalale. Yes, yeah. I think you just got it. Boom. Oh, never mind. I'm just gonna call him Yugi. Yeah. No, we we'll get it. I mean, so and he's uh, his whole family is is uh, his dad was, I think a body man for Chris Brown. Oh, hell yeah. Like like the big, huge 400-pound security guard type body man? Everybody's got to have one of those. I mean, this this is... And I... And... And this this is going to be an interesting story to follow. We'll have a we'll have a lot of time to uh, to break it down here on the Cover Three podcast. <laughs> uh, Tom, any anything anything from home or on TV that stood out that were that was fun or any other notes from the game? I did not watch it tonight because I didn't want. But I recorded the uh, coaches' film room, and just based on what I was reading along with, I we, there's a lot of good stuff to look forward to between Gary Patterson and Mike Gundy. Also. As far as going back to Derek King, 
based on Gary Patterson's reaction, a lot of people think that King's going to be ending up at TCU. Oh. Because I didn't see it. So, again, I'm only going off of what I saw and heard on, on Twitter. But I think, like, when the news broke, Patterson showed, like, Gundy his phone saying, hey, you know, then he told Gundy, I know where he's going. I thought that was an Oklahoma joke. Oh, no. Some people, maybe it might have been, but. Because that would, because I thought that would make sense for Patterson to say it to Gundy, you know, talking, basically talking a little bit of like sideways against Lincoln Riley and his transfer quarterback. Cause that's, cause that's also a good way to negatively to, to do some like negative recruiting against Oklahoma. Right. Yes. Yeah. Cause you'd be like, well, you know where Derek King's going to the, uh, that school that just runs off all the quarterbacks that it recruits out of high school. And you thought we weren't going to recklessly speculate on this. podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I just, I just don't think that that makes a lot of sense for Oklahoma. I think that Lincoln's all in on Rattler. Um, yeah, I hope so because I don't. You can't do that. You can't just keep bringing in transfers every year. You need to develop guys. If if he does do it, that unfortunately would only give me more reasons to believe that he'll go to the NFL one day. Yeah, and then he'll sign a free agent QB every year. Yeah. <laughs> We'll see. That's <laughs> one year deals every year. So if he, if Derek King goes, oh my gosh, if Derek King goes to TCU, that's not necessarily as much of a like college football landscape shifting move. Yeah. And I, I like Derek King and, but this has become a Derek King podcast episode now, but I just, I don't know that Derek King's a land shape landscape shifting quarterback, honestly. I think that Derek King landing at LSU or Oklahoma or a team that is already built to contend for the college football playoffs is an interesting addition in the same way that Jamie Newman at Georgia is like, okay, all right. Like, you know, this is, this is going to be really interesting to see how it goes. I think Jamie Newman's really good. And I think that Georgia's got one of the best defenses in the country, but I think that Derek King at TCU the ceiling is probably still finishing second to Oklahoma and maybe not even making the big 12 championship game, depending on what Texas does. I think that Derek King to LSU is that if it, if it works out, then, you know, he had 36 touchdown passes and 14 rushing touchdowns to six interceptions. His last full season that he played at Houston. Yeah. But what was his yards per attempt? I don't know. I don't have him pulled up. It's like seven something. And, and you were right about completion percentage too. Yeah. I just, I, I'll say this. If I don't, <laughs> I'm dog, we're dog, I'm dogging this poor kid on this podcast for no reason. I, if, if he ends up at LSU, I'm not buying LSU stock in 2020. Mm, interesting. Well, congratulations to the LSU Tigers on winning that national championship. They're going to be outside my window, still playing Garth Brooks and chanting LSU for a long time but i gotta go to the airport soon so jokes on them you're not ruining my sleep i'm not getting any ha <laughs> you can follow him on twitter at tom Fernelli. you can follow me at chip underscore patterson tom thank you so much congratulations we uh we made it through another wonderful season here at cbs sports thank you i'll talk to you in seven months
CBS Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. Citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game for speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new survivor Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount Plus.